Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. This morning that is a, a family series. It's a series called This Is What We Do. Mark Van Pleiton was here and he kicked it off last week um, here at the Milnerton community. And, uh, and the whole emphasis for us is every family it does things that are just the staple diet of who they are. They, this is what we do. The Phillips family was no different. We were a family of three boys. We were middle to lower class on the financial spectrum. So when we went out for our one meal a year to the Meikles Hotel in Harare, we got dressed up. We got dressed up to the nines. It was fancy time. And there was an unspoken rule in the family that... You could order one drink. So we'll order what, drinks for the family. Coke, yes, the fans are good, good. We'll all go around. Sue and Roe, my parents would dabble in some wine, you know. Oh, fancy, you know. The once a year uh, indulgence. And, uh, and then we would just an unsaid rule that when the waiter would come later on and say, any more drinks? We don't even have to look to dad. We'll just say, no thanks, water. We just knew. We were counting the pennies. <laughs> we knew. You, you allowed one drink and then water. I don't know. We, I must have missed that meeting. I'm the youngest brother, so they must have had some meeting years before where this was said. But this is just what we did as the Phillips family. So whenever we'd have a friend come with us who would indulge in a second Coke or a third Coke, we're like, oh, fancy pants, eh? Oh, who's paying that bill? Still to this day ingrained in me, I buy one drink and then it's water. This is what we do. All jokes aside, my family also... Every morning, what we do at six o'clock, my dad would wake us all up, all three boys, bleary-eyed, would go through the lounge. He'll lead us in family devotions and then would pray together as a family. For years, I hated six till 6.30 in the morning. I'll be honest. I'll get to school and my friends would be telling me they, woke, they slept until seven. They set their lounge for seven. And I was like, what? Why do we do this thing? And I, I'll tell you this, dad, why do we do this? No one else said, no, dad said, this is what we do. This is what we do. We pray as a family. Every night we'd get together, we'd come home at different times, but we'd always wait till the whole family together. And what we would do is we'd lay the table, we'd sit down, and we'd eat the, the evening meal together as a family. Sometimes I said, Dad, is the dingo the need is heating up? These were the days of Barker Haynes, you know? You remember those days? Anyone, any fans of the 90s of Izzy Dingo? And I said, Dad, please, can we watch? I need to be in the know for the conversation at school tomorrow. No, boy, this is what we do. We eat together at the table. And I didn't understand it, but years later, I look back and I'm so grateful for these rhythms. Sure, maybe not the water so much because I probably would have been a healthier weight if I had more Cokes. But, but I want to tell you, I'm so grateful because now in my marriage, this is what we do. Every morning, it's not hard work. It's just second nature for Fiona and I to get up and pray together. We pray together. This is a rhythm we put into my family because this is what we do. And this is the sort of language that we're wanting to use because it's no different for us as the family of God. There's some rhythms, there's some things that we just do as a community. And it's no different here at Life Change Milton. And I want to tell you the emphasis of this series of this is what we do, it's, it's a big one for us. We want to say as a people, we are a radically generous people. This is what we do. We want to put that in us and I want to remind you from the front that this is who we are, this is what we do. We do generosity here at Life Changes. Everyone okay with that? Good. It's good to be together. Maybe you're sitting here this morning, and as I say, we are radically generous people. You're sitting next to someone, you're going, not this guy. Not this guy. He always conveniently forgets his wallet, forgets his wallet when the bill comes at the end of lunch. You know, everyone has one of those friends. Oh, where's my wallet? Have you got this one? I'll get the next one. You're like, there's never a next one. 
You know that guy? Anyone know those people? Just not in this church. Good. I like it. Well done. I want to tell you, though, the series is not about them or the person. Ah, I really wish that stingy friend of mine could hear this. No, no, no. The series is about you. It's about me. Taking ownership that this is who we are. Mark did an illustration last week. Where's my water? Oh. The, mo- the waters don't move around in America so much. Silly joke. Sorry. Apologize. Mark had an illustration where he said, just imagine a long rope, a tug-of-war rope before us. And see, that's, that's the nature of our hearts. And our heart, we all have a desire to be generous. I think if we did a poll here and said, who wants to be generous? I don't think there's many people who say, no, I want to be the stingy guy. I want to be Scrooge McDuck. That's who I want to be. No one wants to be that guy. We all want to be generous. How do I know? Because I've got some friends who are incre- incredibly stingy, and yet their conversation is always like, eh, when I win the lottery, I'll give you some bucks, bud. You know that. I've got a friend who tells my parents often, when, is, when my business succeeds, I'm going to go back and buy you the farm and Zim. I'll buy it for you. And I'm like, who's like, why do we don't want the farm and Zim? Thanks. But it's always this, this notion that when one day I get the, the bucks, I'm going to give. It's in people's hearts. It's what we do. And it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. But I want to tell you, so that's on this side of the, t- of the tug of war rope, a desire to be generous. Yeah, who wants to be generous? A few hands, a few hands. Okay, and the rest of you are just lazy. Good. I do, but I don't want to put my hand up. I want to say, though, the problem on the other side of this rope, this desire to be generous, is, is little, small things that we think are just, actually just normal life that just slip into the other side of the rope and start to pull at our desire to be generous. And this tug of war starts, and things like fear that slip in saying, ooh, but the end of the month comes really, it doesn't come as quick as it used to. It's a bit slower these days. Or, or the economy's not going really well. You know, it was 13.6 to the dollar just a few weeks ago. Now it's 13.9. Oh my goodness, what's going to happen next week? You know, things like, actually, I've got a daughter now and I've got to pay her school fees. And oh my, that was never in the budget before. And fears like that just start to creep in and we start to get a little bit smaller and we start to wrestle this thing here. Just, maybe self-justifications, fears, self-justifications about things that, that, that hey, this is actually, I've worked hard for this and another one just called plain selfishness I need a bigger TV <laughs> I really do need a bigger TV I can't see but anyway <laughs> but selfishness starts to pull at this thing and this tug of war happens of a desire to be generous but other things slip in but I'm going to tell you that this wrestle if we engage with this wrestle for too long and don't deal with it sharply this side always wins because from the very moment a child can speak, the, one of the first words they say is, mine. Mine. It's in who we are. It's mine. And we don't want to share with you. And this is not something that comes naturally to us. But we are not a natural people. We are supernatural people. And I want to tell you, this is what we do. We do radical generosity. Amen. Good preaching, Gabe. Here we go. Proverbs 11 verse 24 says this. I want to convince you this morning of this fact. It says this. Proverbs 11 24 says, The world of the generous gets bigger and bigger. That's good news, eh? The world of the generous just gets bigger and bigger. While the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. I want to tell you the aim of this series is that we want to break this wrestle. This wrestle of a desire but not able to. Desire but never really having the moment. Next month, when I get a bigger salary. One day when. We want to break this wrestle. We want to destroy anxiety, fear, and lack in this area of finances. This area of finance where there's anxiety attached to your finances. There's fear. Will there, there's never enough. I don't know if I'll ever make it. And actually this whole thing of lack, always just scraping by, never feeling, walking into the abundance that God has for us. 
We want to break this. And according to Scripture, the weapon to do this is generosity. If you want to walk into a bigger space of freedom in this era of finances, generosity is the buzzword of the day. It was the buzzword of the day 2,000 years ago, and it still is, and it's still the same for you and I. I want to tell you, God has to work on our hearts for us to open our hands. Because we are all too often stuck in a survivor cycle. I want to show you a couple cycles on the screen now. Sarah, hit it. This is what happens. The, the diagram on my left and your left as well as I turn the screen. Your right and, and my, your left, my left. The one over here. This is the cycle. We consume. We get something and we start to consume it. And then because we've, we've consumed too much of it, we end up lacking. Ah, there's no more left. So then we start to fear so then we start to consume the more, the, the little that we have. Keep it close, keep it closer. And we get stuck in the survivor cycle. There's a new cycle. That's a survivor cycle, but God is not calling us to be survivors. We're called to be sons and daughters who don't live in fear and lack and anxiety, but we live in confidence. And this is the new cycle I believe God wants to replace in our hearts is this, that we give. We're generous. And as we give, we see that God multiplies what we give. The little that we left with, he multiplies. And this is the thing, because we see God's provision, our faith grows. So we do it even more. This is the new cycle that God wants to put in our, in our understanding and in the diet of who we are. Let's go to Scripture. Enough of my, my own words. Let's go to Scripture. Scripture's going to be on the screen. I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm sure you've, you haven't done this for a couple of weeks, so why not? Let's take a stand. We stand when we read Scripture because... We believe that Scripture is the highest authority, not my opinions, not someone else's opinions, not a, a church's creed or manifesto. No, the Word of God. So let's stand, open your hearts. We're going to read Paul's letter to the, the Corinthians, the second letter to them, from verse 66 of chapter 9. This is the New Living Translation. It says this, remember this. Now the only person here probably understands this is Benny. Where's the farming? Okay? Any other farmers around? Any other? Just Benny. Good, good, good. Benny grew up on a farm. There we go. Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you'll always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, quoting the Psalms, he says, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. Verse 10. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way. It's underlined in my Bible. Yes, you'll be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. I also underlined so that. You just remembered. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. Final slide, verse 12, 13 says, As a result of your ministry, they'll give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Thank God for this gift. Too wonderful for words. Let's pray before we sit. Father, I pray this morning as we sit under your word. 
I thank you, Father God, that you are bringing a bigness to our hearts, a bigness to us to receive your word and to obey it. I thank you, Father God, that you are maturing us as people, that you're coming against the cycle of surviving and you're replacing with a new cycle, a new habit of sonship, responding to a good father, a generous father. I thank you, Jesus, you're doing something deep in our hearts that will bring glory to you and bring freedom to us. Thank you for this. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't you take a seat? This morning, very quickly, as brief as I can. No promises there, but as brief as I can. Three how-tos from this text that will help us break the cycle of surviving and move us into sonship and that we, so that we can become truly generous people. Three how-tos to become truly generous people. Everyone all right with that? Good. If you have an ability to take notes on your smartphone or with right on your skin or whatever you want to do, do this, write down the scriptures. I love you to go wrestle some of this at home. But number one, from this text, what I pick up, and this is what we do, you and I, number one, we give consistently. We give consistently. I want to tell you, I start off by looking at my heavenly father, God. And I'm so grateful that his generosity towards me and towards you is not based on his moods, is not based on my behavior, on how well I'm doing on a performance basis, and he comes at the end of the month and counts up, Gabe, you've only got three gold stars. Going to have to hold back a little bit this month. I'm so grateful that my father is consistent in his generosity. From the word go in Genesis 1 all the way to the end, the first word, the Father, the Holy Son, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit said, they blessed mankind and they've never stopped blessing. God, is, his, his hand has been outstretched openly towards mankind since the beginning and it will not be until the very end closed and withdrawn. He has given his best and he's given his best consistently to us. I'm so grateful that my starting point is a consistent father. That I'm not a son who's got an arrogant father or a father who's inconsistent or a father who makes promises but cannot keep them. I've got a generous, faithful father. It's a good starting point, isn't it? Here's the understanding, the implication of that for you and I, is that you and I, our generosity, if we want to be known as a generous people, if we want to be truly generous, we cannot be led by our income. We cannot be led by our emotions, how we feel or, or how we are doing this week. I'm feeling generous this week. We cannot be led by that sort of emotion if we're going to be a truly generous people. I mean, help us, not just only in the financial context, but generosity in a number of areas. Marriages suffer because they don't get this. Marriages don't flourish because generosity in terms of my love for you, my kindness for you, my forgiveness for you is based on whether you did the dishes last night or whether you have given me the forgiveness that I deserve. We, we say, I say at every single wedding that I, I've had the privilege of doing that marriage is not primarily a partnership where you do 50 and I do 50. I say that marriage is not a contract where it's a bunch of to-dos, what I will do if you do this and I'll do that if you don't do this. It's not even just a friendship based on commonalities of interests. No, no, marriage, what makes marriage marriage is a thing called covenant. Marriage is beautiful and thrives and finds grace when we understand covenant, which means that Gabe Phillips gives Fiona Phillips 100% every day, even if she gives me 0%. And if Fiona Phillips, covenant means for her that she gives 100% to me every day, even when I give 0%. That's when marriages thrive, when we understand covenant and my generosity is not based on how I feel, but based on who provides for me. And it's the Father. 
Marriages flow. This is generosity. is not just an area of finances on every single level. And we've got to implement this in our lives. I want to tell you, I love this scripture though. Because Paul in this Second Corinthians, the whole context of chapter 8 and chapter 9, he's writing to a church who are actually not thriving financially. They're not in a thriving financial area. It's actually been a low season. But he comes to him and says, listen, we're partners in the gospel. The church in Jerusalem is struggling. We need some help financially to go and rescue and feed some of our brothers and look after the church there. And says, actually, I want to partner with you guys in the story. Doesn't make sense then, but Paul speaks about them that actually that we've got to be a generous people and say, trust God in this. This is not an appeal from headquarters. This is saying actually as Christ followers, this is what we do. We're generous. Not as the church, not as Paul Ministries International, no, but as Christ followers, those people who lay claim to Jesus, this is what we do. We are generous. I thought someone would say amen. Oh, thank you. It was a bit stifled, clear, but anyway, I'll take it. I'll take it. But I love what Paul does in this passage, chapter 9, from verse 6 to the end of the chapter. He helps us on how we are to give consistently. He uses this analogy of the farmer, and he says that the farmer gets seed and bread from God. And and he says actually every month, if we understand it correctly, is that whatever we get given to, to supply our needs, to look after our lives financially, the paycheck you get, the thing that looks after you every month, we understand that God, in that finance, God has given us bread and seed. Some of it, what, what does that mean to break down? We have to understand in our finance what of it is to be consumed and what of it is to be sown for a future harvest. The problem is not many people know this and people don't live within margin. People think all of us have to eat all of this and we spend all of it on things that are our needs and our wants and our greeds. And then we get to the end and we go, nothing to trust God with for the future. We have to understand that. So this is what Paul is saying to us, and this is our implication. If you want some how-tos this morning, I want to get really practical. And this is my story, and I pray this will become your story if it's not already, is that every month I sit down and I determine, or I have determined in the past, what of my salary every month is bread for the consuming of my family. We have to consume that to supply our needs. And what if it is seeds that I need to sow for the future? I have to determine and, and I love the scripture says, you determine, Paul says, I have to determine what is that. So here's the understanding. Paul says, uh, uh, maybe the question is leaping ahead. When, when must we do this? When, when must I do this? Paul says, he says, do this first, not with what is left over. I want to tell you, we're a people. If you want to know what we do, we give sacrificially, not with surplus. We give sacrificially, not with surplus, not out of our surplus. Because I want to tell you this. If you've got your salary, and on the other side, you've got your needs, your wants, your greeds. Can I tell you, he has, a, he has a statement of truth about the human heart. Your needs, your wants, and your greeds will always outweigh your salary. No matter how big your salary is, your needs, your wants, and greeds will always outweigh what you're bringing in. I know this because I used to earn 80 rand a month a week teaching guitar as a student. And I always thought, when I get a little bit more, then I'll be generous. And then I got a little bit more, and I thought... Maybe a little bit more. Who determines what that little bit more is? But here's the understanding is that the Bible tells us the scripture in Matthew 6, and it's not just some pithy saying for a coffee cup at home or on the back of a taxi on the way to work. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and all the rest will be added to you. I know if I'm honest, I've applied that to every year in my life, but not so readily to my finances. 
I go, seek first with my emotions, seek first with my worship, seek first with how I'll uh, honor God. But financially, let's see how we go this month. It's going to be a tight month. I love to be generous. So if, if we come out with some, God, you've got it. It's yours. It hardly ever works that way. Maybe I'm just the only guy who doesn't do that well. I don't think so. In the scriptures, in Deuteronomy 26, there's this passage, and, and I think the prosperity gospel, uh, gospel have butchered these passages, but they're beautiful principles we can learn, is that there's this understanding, Deuteronomy 26, go read at home, that's why I say write these down, they're really great things to go study. Talks about the, uh, the culture of uh, in the harvest days. They said at the time of harvest, they said go and get the first fruits, the first fruits of what you've uh, of of your of your harvest, and come and give it to God. And the way they did it in that culture, so there would be a field of, of, of wheat, for example, and they would go in without examining all the other crops, without examining the health of the rest of the crops. To say that I trust God means to go and say I take the first bunch. Whatever I see first, and I'm going to take that bit and I'm going to give it to God, not knowing if the rest of it is even spoilt or available to be eaten. That's called faith. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful thing of understanding that what faith looks like when we give what is first, not what is surplus. So Paul says, when do we do it? We do this first. We decide first, not in reaction, but in faith. Secondly, he says, how much? I ask these questions. Maybe I'm just this guy. I say, how much should I give, Gabe? That's what I ask myself sometimes. The Old Testament, there was an understanding in the Old Covenant was the, the, the tithe means 10%. The 10%. Here in this test text that we're reading, we see Paul, I hope you notice it. Paul said to the Corinthian church, he says, you decide how much to give. Now, I, I wrestled this and I'm starting to read this and I'm saying, was Paul lowering the bar? Was he like going, actually guys, it was once 10%, but you know, now, whatever you want. Just, just it's up to you guys, you know. Some anarchist type of, I just give in whatever. Just even if you want to give one rand, I'll take it. No, no, no. What Paul was doing in this moment was we know in Scripture that, that through Jesus Christ, Jesus came, he never lowered the bar on us. And when, um, when, when the principle of generosity starts to become about an amount and a percentage and how much, is that gross, is that net, it starts to become the wrong conversation. It's meaning that we are looking to the, the seed for our, our faith instead of actually looking to the one who provides the seed for our faith. And this is the understanding, actually, if you're saying getting caught up on the percentage of number, that isn't the deal, because here's the truth. How much of it are your salary is God's? All of it. All of it. It was all given to you from God to be your bread and your seed. All of it. So what you do with 100% of your money matters to God. So some people I know that are close to me who give their 10% to God faithfully saying, the devourer now will stay away from my door. And you know what? They do in faith and it's good, but it's almost as if they're paying the Godfather and then living whatever, I can do whatever I want with the rest of my money because I've tithed. I'm like, what the heck do you think this is? He's the Father, not the Godfather. He's not a God who's in need going, oh, I hope they don't pay 9% this month. That's, oh, this pay golf paving doesn't pay for itself. <laughs> no. He's not in, God doesn't want our money. He doesn't want to have our money. He doesn't want our money to have us. He's after our hearts. So what, I'm telling you, all of your money is to be stewarded for His glory. To be lived with generously. Seed and bread is the conversation. What of my money is bread to be consumed? What of it is seed to be sown? David says this in the, in, in, in the book of Samuel. He says, I will not give to the Lord that which has cost me nothing. Because actually the understanding here is not the, what is the percentage? That's not, that's a low question. Here's a question for you. What is the sacrifice? 
What is sacrifice to you financially? That, that's the question because I know in my relationship with Fee, when I buy her a present, it, how weird would it be? I say, Fee, here's a present, and I go, I left the price tag on. <laughs> it was very expensive. She's going to be like, what the heck? It's weird. Because can I tell you, I'll be honest, my wife actually doesn't care how much it costs. She wants to know how much it costs me. She wants to know, Fee, I went and I queued for hours. Because I saw this one thing I knew you'd love. And then I queued and I queued and I pushed my way to the front and there was only one left. So then actually had a competition to who could fight a bear to win that last one. I fought the bear fee and you can see these scratch marks on my body from the bear. I took it on. I lost. But as, uh, as the other guy who beat the bear, I went and stole the thing and I ran a million miles, sweated and I almost died. And I got this present for you because you, I knew you'd love it. I didn't really fight a bear, just in case you're wondering. Fee is not worrying how much it costs. She wants to know how much it costs me, the sacrifice involved. And that's to understand God saying, well, how much are you trusting me in the story? When, how much? Thirdly, he says, where to? Where must I give this? And the, the question that Paul is answering in this context, he's saying actually there's an amount to be given to the local church. And I love this. I love this understanding. Because for me, generosity is, is amazing. I love being a generous person when people know I'm a generous person. Is that not true? I love it when, when I give somebody a gift and they say, thank you so much. You are so generous. And I'm like, I am. I love, as Lady Gaga says, I live for the applause. I really do. I want you all to know that I gave someone some money the other day. And, I, and, it, and it really was a big amount. I want you to know that. That's my wicked heart. But the gospel is so beautiful. It puts this mechanism in it. It says, actually, don't do it so that people can see your generosity. Give to the local church so that they can disperse it. And that your generosity will be anonymous. And you're storing for yourself rewards in heaven, not here in the applause on earth. It, uh, my idol-making heart hates that. But this is what we do. I'm a generous person. And I don't need the applause of man. And this is the beautiful thing that God puts in this thing. Uh, in, in this thing, So he sets up a consistent mechanism where I can grow in generosity and I can stay free. Here's the implication about consistent generosity. I want to ask you, can you decide what you're going to give monthly to the work of God? It's an implication. Think about it. Decide what you're going to give monthly. I'm going to hear this is self-disclosure front. My wife and I, we have decided long ago, we've been doing this for major, most of our married life, is that we said we're going to, we believe for us, not because there's some magic thing to it, but just because I'm useless at math, that every month, 10% of my income and fees income is tithe, is given to the work of the gospel. That's what we do. We give 10%. And the way I do it, I've set up a beneficiary for the church on the church here. And every month, but it doesn't go off EFT without just doing it. Because I want to do it with faith every month. So I pray send every month. And I'll explain a little bit why now. But this for us, and can I tell you the good thing? For us, this is the baseline of our generosity. I'm not going, yay, we're generous. Now we're done. Thank goodness. No, no. I want to tell you, I love the stories that my wife tells me while I was away. And this is maybe... I need to get better at budgeting and help her. Uh, but, but we had a little bit of money left over. End of the month with a week and a bit to go, 200 rand left in the account. 
You all know those months. I'm sure you do, unless they're really wealthy of you. Anyone who doesn't know this month, pass offering baskets around again to them, please. No, I'm just joking. But when there's 200 rand left in the, in the account, and uh, Fisa still had to buy some food for Olivia, uh, some of the formula. And then she said, and I heard there was a lady in our community who just had a baby and is, and is going through some really tough times at home. And, she, and I thought, no one's taking her a meal. And Fee said, oh, 200 rand. Oh, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? And Fee and Faith said, actually, she didn't say, I've paid my tithe. I've done my generosity. Thank you, Lord. I'm out of this one. Ask somebody else. My wife, I'm so incredibly proud that I'm part. This is what we do as a family. We don't count the cost. She bought the food for Olivia. She went and bought a meal for this lady, went and dropped it off. And now an opportunity to minister to a lady has opened up. That's my wife. I want to tell you, this is what we do. For us, this is not the, we're not trying to attain to something. This is who we are. Consistent generosity breeds the ability to be spontaneously generous. generous. If you think you're just going to be spontaneous generous without doing the consistent, I'm telling you, you're going to fall very short. Number two in this thing, we give consistently. Secondly, we give cheerfully. Cheerfully. They all seized this morning. Of course. The scripture tells us we give cheerfully, not begrudgingly or reluctantly. We don't give bound by law or being pressurized or because a hyped up preacher says, give. I once was in a church where we said, you can't have Mercedes Benz living if you don't, if you have go-kart giving. And everyone went, woo, amen. I was like, what the heck does that even mean? I wrote it down because it rhymed. But it wasn't true. It's like, it's weird. It's just weird when hyped up preachers force and tell you, actually, if you do this, you'll keep the devour away. You'll be cursed if you don't. I'll tell you, uh, if you think that is ever being preached here, please go listen to our Galatians series we just finished where we said Jesus plus nothing equals everything. If you want the blessing of the Father, it's in Christ alone. But can I tell you, this, these are some of the things we do, not because we're wanting the blessing, but because we are blessed already. I don't give because I need to twist God's arm. He's generous. It's His nature. I give because he's already been generous to me. How dare I not be generous and reflect him rightly? Can I tell you, we give cheerfully. I want to help us understand that giving and generosity is worship. That's why I hope you've noticed that we always do tithes and offerings in worship. Here at Life Change, we've made a pl- we said we'll never ever preach on finances and then take an offering up afterwards because we believe that's manipulation. We'll always, this morning, that's why I took up offering early on in the service because it's part of our worship, but also I want to make sure that it's as far away as from me manipulating, so, or you, I don't want you to feel manipulated because I want to say this has to come cheerfully and freely and willingly from your heart. Otherwise, please don't do it because it'll put you in bondage. That same narrative in Deuteronomy 26. I have loved reading this chapter the last couple of days. It's been so freeing. I didn't even know it was in there, I must be honest. Terrible confession, eh? They gave, they gave generously their first fruits, but then they had the instructions on how to give. They said, as you give, start recounting the story of the Exodus. These were people who'd come from the land of Egypt. They've been set free, and now they're in freedom and learning to live in the promised land. And God says, so Jesus, it's not now give, and then we'll set you free from Pharaoh. No, he says, you've been set free from Pharaoh. Now you're in the promised land. Now as you give to God, do it as worship. And they, the people, they all, as they gave their offerings, they would tell of the stories, the miracles that God had done for them in Egypt. And how they, we once were slaves, but now we are free. And they were supposed to bring it down and worship God in this moment. I love that. It wasn't some begrudging, ah, you, if you must have, how, how many coins have I got this month, you know? And then trying to drop the coins in so they don't jangle in the bucket. You know those people. 
or the people who do the matrix during the offering, you know? As the buckets go past. Sorry, I just was been watching too many movies on the flights. But I love this understanding that actually this thing of giving is worship to God. Worship is not just a 20-minute time slot where we sing and put our hands up and sit down. Worship is our lives. And can I tell you, the last time I looked, my wallet is a big part of my life. How do I know? Because I check my bank account two or three times a month, mostly in the last week when I'm trying to work out the last few days. Let me tell you, see who you're giving to. We are giving to God in response to Him. And being like our Father, this is in response to our Father. I want to tell you, there's a scripture in the book of Matthew, and it says this. It says, where your treasure is, you'll find your heart. Where your treasure is, you'll find your heart. We can apply that to our lives, that if you want to know what someone values, just go and look at what they've been buying in the last month. If you want to see what moves their heart, where do people spend their money? It's a scary thing to do, a self-audit on your own self, when you look through that lens. Quite scary. Am I spending on myself, my consumption? Am I spending on others? I say I love people, but then I look at my budget and how much is spent on me and how much is spent on others. There's not much truth to that statement then because where my treasure is, there my heart is. It's the word of God, not my, not my opinion. But here's the understanding for you and I is that the Father, John 3.16, our, our, the, the, the poster verse for Christianity, God so loved the world that He gave his one and only son, Jesus, he gave his treasure. He gave his best. He gave his, his, the, the prize of heaven. He gave Jesus his treasure with a passionate, joyful delight for us, the object of his affection. If you want to know, does God love me? Look what he gave for you because you cannot remove where his treasure is. That's where his heart is. The father gave his treasure to where his heart is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. I, want, I, I love this because actually God didn't have 13 kids and say, guys, I need to send a redeemer, the ugly liar at the end. You're going to go. You've been, you really haven't done your chores. You're going to go for them. We won't miss him. Remember to write at Christmas. Oh, Christmas hasn't happened yet. Okay, you haven't been born. Okay. No, he didn't send one of his 13. Or you know, Jesus, God sent his best, his only son. And can I tell you, he did it with delight, not begrudgingly. So I want to tell you, this is what we do. We give joyfully, cheerfully, and not out of duty. Please hear me there. This is what we get to do. Thirdly, this morning, we give consistently, we give cheerfully, and finally, we give courageously. Courageously. I want to say this. Giving is always as a result of our faith and not our fear. Giving is always as a result of our faith and not our fear. I pray that when you give, you do it with faith. Because I want to tell you, this is war. This tug of war image, we're fighting for our hearts here. We're fighting for the, the, the understanding of this is who we are as a people, that we want to represent our generous Father. We're never more like God than when we're being generous because He's a generous God who does not withhold anything for those He loves. And I want to tell you, this fight, this wrestle, this tug of war between our wants, our needs, our greeds, and the desire to be a generous people can only be broken when we start to understand that, that the weapon of generosity needs to be unleashed with faith. Maybe you've said these things. There's not going to be enough this month. It's going to run out. I want to tell you, anxiety and fear must be broken in this area. Anxiety and fear must be broken in our financial dealings. Because I want to tell you, fear will always hold generosity hostage. 
If you're fearful about your money and how far it'll go, is it enough? To, it will always hold your, your generosity hostage. Uh, and uh, here's self-confession, if that's okay. Too often, I feel I have more faith. This is Gabe here yeah, speaking. I have more faith in my talents, my resources, my job, and my paycheck to take care of tomorrow than I do in God Almighty, if I'm honest. If I look at the way generosity is exercised in my life, if you had to do an audit you say, and you didn't know me, you'll say, Gabe trusts paycheck to look after tomorrow. Gabe knows that next month there's going to be a salary, so that's why there's no fear. No, no, no. The reason I have no fear is because I've got a provider. Let me help us here. The book of Habakkuk. So I want to take us there very quickly. It's a minor prophet written in the, in the Old Testament, page 560 in my Bible. I don't know what is in yours, but somewhere there in the, in the middle, in the middle portion. But it was written to a community who were in great turmoil and anxiety financially. There was pressures. Babylon was, oh, was encroaching on them. They were, they were, I can imagine if they had the economy, there was huge collapses and, and everything was falling apart around them. And this prophet speaks into a culture where they had six ways to make a living. Six ways to make a living. Number one was figs. Secondly, there was grapes. Thirdly, there was olives. Fourthly, there was wheat. Fifthly, there was sheep. And sixthly, there was cattle. Aren't you glad you live today where you can do something different than those things? But those are how the people made a living. And then we get to the scripture in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17. Page 560, Gabe. Page 560. This is what it says in Habakkuk 3 verse 17. It says this, Even though the fig trees have no blossoms, because he's speaking into the context of the day, even though the, the grapes, there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty. Basically, he's listing a, what, what is happening today. In my life, was listening to what's happening today in our nation, in your life. He's saying, the list of today could have been, we live in fear. Even though the petrol prices are going up. Even though the rand is plummeting. Even though my fridge doesn't stay full for too long. Even though uh, they haven't ra- had, I haven't had a raise in years. Even though they're starting to make retrenchments at work. This is, he's listing that sort of thing. He's coming against the very ability that you put your faith in to look after your tomorrow. He says, even though these things happen, verse 18 and 19 kick in. He says this, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. I want to tell you, though there is trouble in the financial area, though maybe your salary is not as big as you thought it would be, though maybe there's stress and anxiety in this area at home, I want to tell you this, it doesn't change our response. We have faith in a sovereign God. I want to tell you the word sovereign God means that He cannot be shaken and He will not be moved. God does not respond to things here on earth. He is the one who sets everything in motion. He holds it all together in the palm of his hand. He is not shaken. He is not nervous. He is not anxious. He is the one who, who is the provider. He's the beginning and the end. He's the one who is the one who gives life. He's the one who pours life out like that bottle of water. He's the one who gives it all. He is sovereign. I want to tell you when times are tight and tough, we rise up. This is what we do. As Christ followers, we do not shrink back in these moments. I want to tell you, if I can be honest, if you have one fear in your life, rather fear prosperity than poverty for the sake of your soul. 
Now, I want to tell you, prosperity is a good thing. and God wants to bless. But I want to tell you that Israel never did well with blessing. They always walked away from God when they were blessed. When their barns were full, they walked away. Can I tell you, prosperity is an empty promise that lulls you away from trusting God, the provider. Because we all say, I'll give when I get. Then you're saying, actually, that's the one that allows you to be generous, your salary. You're saying, I'll give when I do this, or I'll, I'll respond to God in this way. No, 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 actually, we do it not in response to how much we've got. We respond to the one who provides. How about this stat? In the Great Depression, the 20s in America, if you had to, the churches in America during the Great Depression, per household, how much their giving was as a percentage. The Great Depression, financial wreck and ruin across the United States. Per capita, per household in the churches, the giving increased to 22% per person in the Great Depression. Where was their trust? They were a different people. When everyone else was fleeing and going, the fig trees have no figs, the olives are not, they're not blossoming, there's no more cattle, there's no more sheep, there's no more money, we're done for. We need the president to make a plan. The church said, actually, our hope's not in the economy, it's in God, and they started to give more. 22%. Here's a stat that's scary. How much do you think it is that same stat today across churches in America today? If you had to think of a percentage, 3.4%. <laughs> Good question. Good question. But here's the thing. I'll be honest. Maybe you're the guy who went, oh, 3.4, and God's going, hey, but you give nothing. <laughs> it's terrible. Just a thought. I want to land with this understanding that actually we're a people. This is what we do. Times are tough. We don't run to our resources. We run to a provider. And we trust his economy. And I want to tell you, his economy looks like generosity. His economy says, when you give, I will bless. When you open your hand, I'm, I, it allows me to bless you even more and to give you more. He has to understand those I land. God wants to bless you. Now, I rag on the prosperity gospel from time to time, but I want to tell you, I cannot deny that God wants to bless you. If I do that, I'm denying Scripture and I'm denying Jesus because Jesus is the blessing of the Father. And He would never give Jesus if He was withholding anything from us. But I want to tell us in this understanding, you are not the end of His blessing. Scripture makes it clear again and again, says that I have blessed you so that you can be a blessing. God wants to increase, He wants to enlarge us so that we can become more and more generous towards people, towards the earth, to the broken, to the lost, the least, the last of those. He wants us, this is what we do, that actually when everyone else is cowering, we're living in faith and seeing God step in again and again. Can I tell you, you cannot ever tell a testimony unless you've gone through a test. Unless you've actually trusted God in this, you won't tell testimonies of God's provision. You'll tell testimonies of increases in salaries or the ability to make a plan. And I'm saying this is not who we are. We are people who trust God. I want to tell you, He has already given you everything you need for life and godliness. Because I've for years said, I will bless people. I want to be a blessing, but when I'm blessed. God, because well, at the moment, I look at my story, I look at other, most people around me. There's a lot going on. But actually God said, no, no, that's not how my economy works. Will you trust me in the story? I want to land with this understanding as we land. Is in, 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 in Israel, there's two, there's two rivers. There's two major rivers, the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. And they both are seas that, flu, that, fl that flow out of the same source. They both have the same source. 
the Sea of Galilee, which is teeming with life, full of fish. The agriculture goes along the banks, and there's just life, greenery, all everywhere you look. There's life, the Sea of Galilee, coming from the same source as the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea, because of its salt content, as you get in it, uh, it you can float in it because no life happens there. No life. There's no visible life that's uh, agricultural, biological, that happens because of the salt content that just dilutes it all. But here's the thing. They said the reason why... The difference, the big difference, they both have the same source, they both flow from the same area. The difference between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, they both have the same source, but only one of them has an outlet. The Dead Sea finishes and stops in itself. The Sea of Galilee keeps flowing, keeps flowing. I want to tell you this morning, this is what we do. We are a people. I'm not here to put a number on you. I'm not here to call you to something that I would not do. I'm not calling you to anything that's a church-driven campaign. I'm calling you to the Word of God for freedom. The number one reason we do this is because it's worship to God and it's freedom for you and I. And this is a moment I believe God wants us to cut this wrestle, a desire between our desire and our, the pull to selfishness and the pull to fear and anxiety. He says, I don't want you to be bound in anxiety and fear. I want to bless you so you can be a blessing. And I want to tell if you want to measure this, here's the question, and this is Jesus Christ. I believe last night, I believe, as I was prepping, I felt God convict me afresh on this. I felt I was like, I've been doing this out of ritual because I just 10% every month, I just do it. I said, God, I want to do it with faith. Not only for me, but for families around me. As I do it, I'm doing it for those who cannot. You have nothing and wish they could, but they're gonna, I want to give, but I can't. Well, I want to do it in faith for them. And that's just the starting point. I want to give above. I want to be a generous person. I want to be known as a generous person, not by you for your applause, but for heaven can say, you're representing your dad well, boy. That's who we are. This is what we do. We give and we give and we give. And I want to do it. I want to hear, this is what Jesus, I felt, was asking me last night. I ask you again. He says, do you trust me? That's the basic. I could have said the sermon in one line. <laughs> Would have saved us a hell of a lot of time. Do you trust me? And it's not said as a manipulation, but it's a, Jesus wants to get at our hearts. He says, once I've got your hearts, your hands will open quickly. I want to ask you, do you trust him? Because I say, I trust him with my family. I trust him with health. I trust him in these areas. But can I tell you if I'm honest? Because I came from a home, where money wasn't abundant. I saw economy in Zimbabwe collapse. I saw pension funds disappear because of that. I saw my parents move from a massive home to a tiny flat to having, and having to, basically my parents will never retire. They'll work till the day they die. And I've seen my parents and they've been faithful tithers all the way through. And I started to do the maths going, if they hadn't give those 10%, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever done that. And they add, I added them up. Oh, they could have had a nice little nest egg. But I go, actually, I don't respond to the economies of man. I've got a father who provides. And I want to tell you, do not respond to the economies of man. Respond to a father who provides. Your future is not in, in the hands of man. It's in the hands of a father. Do you trust me? I want to say, this is what we do. We give consistently. We give cheerfully and we give courageously. And I believe God is wanting to do this with us as a people. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the privilege this morning of opening a word talking about generosity not we don't want to drop it to a base level and say no we spoke about money yes we did but god we speak primarily about the idols of our heart father we are sons and daughters we're not slaves and when we were in egypt as the metaphor goes when we were in egypt we could not give because we had nothing to give 
But Father, now because you have blessed us with everything in Christ Jesus, you've given us everything we need for life and godliness, how can we not respond by having an open hand and being a conduit for blessing from you and to others and breaking that cycle and saying, this is our new cycle. We give, you multiply, faith grows and we give more. I thank you, God, this is what we do. We are a generous people. I thank you, God, as we utilize this weapon and we make decisions today to jump in that flow, I thank you, God, that the, 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 the bondage of anxiety in finances, the bondage of fear in finances, the, the bondage of lack in finances are still starting to be broken. I thank you, Father God, even in this room, as people say, I'm going to make a decision of faith. It's going to be hard. I feel everything inside of me grow tense and nervous. But I hear ropes being snapped. Bah! As the wrestle says, it's, it's done. You're trusting me in this area. I thank you, Father God, for this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen.